This is the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast, episode 171. I'm Joel Hollingsworth. I'm here with Will Shelton. We are going to talk maybe five minutes about the uh, Auburn game, uh, and probably even less than the uh, upcoming Florida game, which, wow, that sounds weird. Uh, but then we're going to move on to basketball. Uh, but Will, you know, you know something we haven't done in uh, in a long time. You remember the off-topic question? I do. We yes, used to, we used to do that. So I'm I'm going to ask you because because I just got done. Actually, I was in the middle of uh, making Christmas cookies, which might tell you something about me and my family. But I, have you ever made Christmas cookies? I know that you know uh, your wife is like a professional baker, right? So this could go one of two ways. Either you've never done it because she's the one always doing it, or you've done it a lot, of course. So which is it? Uh, well, currently, it's I don't do it much at all because she does it professionally. Uh, she does um, she does like what really sells, uh, and I think will sell still in quarantine times, is like, like making mittens and things like that where you can write someone's personalized name on it and that right. sort of thing. So... She, yeah, she does. Uh, she does a lot of that stuff. I, growing up, we did it. Uh, oh, sounds like what your kids are doing now. Yeah, we did it all the time growing up. My my mama makes a mean cream cheese sugar cookie. Uh, and when I, I saw my parents uh, uh, two weeks ago, it was whenever we were supposed to play Texas A and M. So two two weeks ago, two weekends ago, um, and uh, hadn't seen. Hadn't seen my dad in eight months and hadn't seen my mom and other than right when the baby was born in June in eight months. So uh, she had like, I don't know, three dozen cream cheese sugar cookies. And uh, my three year old and I knocked them out uh, in about two days. So, yes, uh, I, don't, I don't do it now only because it is professionally done uh, far superior to what I can do. But I'm, I'm a big fan of that tradition. Yeah, see, uh, a, l- a little context for anybody who doesn't know some of this stuff about me, but I've, I've been married uh, 26 years now. Um, nothing but girls in the house. So it's been a long uh, process of conditioning for me that <laughs> one of the things we do about this time of year is we watch a lot of Hallmark movies, right? And Hallmark movies for guys, I, I think, are not, is not something that you immediately uh, it's like, oh, that was good. Let's do that again, right? It's sort of something right. that has to grow on you, right? So we do it all the time. But the other day I was like, you know what? Let's not just watch a Hallmark movie. Let's live a Hallmark movie. <laughs> so we decided this afternoon we're going to make uh, Christmas cookies. So that's what we were doing. And I the to, uh, I the missions uh, director at my church, uh, she's uh, Carly's like mid twenties and um, she sent me this idea because we were looking for creative things to do that you can do in the midst of a pandemic. And she was like, you know, we should do a cookie swap. We should do uh, all these, you know, you, you bake cookies, bring them to the church and you pick up something someone else bakes, whatever. And I emailed her back and I was like, it sounds like a great idea. Can you tell me more about it? How would we do it logistically? And she's like, honestly, it's just something I saw in a Hallmark movie and I thought it sounded awesome. So we should try it. So yeah, stay tuned. If you're in the Southwest Virginia, uh, NRV area. Uh, we, you, if you're looking for some cookies, you may be able to check those out at First United Methodist Church of Pulaski. Hallmark, by the way, is a, a perfect example of, you know, if you're really bad at something at first, just keep doing it over and over and over again. And eventually you'll get good at it. Because if you look at the recent ones, they're pretty good. They got better actors now, better dialogue, better writers. Um, so, it, it, you know, I'm enjoying them. 
I, uh, last year, back when the world was normal, um, I had this thing I wanted to, to preach it in December, but a little before it was based on this book that had seven chapters. So I wanted to do instead of four Sundays of Advent, I wanted to back it up into November. And we had like very, very intense conversations in my office of how much Christmas was too much Christmas to put on the church bulletin cover on the second week of November yeah, yeah. Uh, because people, and I usually I'm one of them now having kids, my kids are three and, and uh, Sophia is five months old. Like we have Christmas lights up now uh, here pre Thanksgiving. So I think kids kind of de-screwed you in this department, but you know, last year with just one kid, we were, I mean, it was a long in-depth conversation of like seven or eight different <laughs> photos that we were going to put on the front of our bulletin with like, What's what's just a little Christmas for the second week of November that's not too much Christmas. So no matter how united a group of people may be in something, whether it be a church or a political party or whatever, like that that question of when is it too early to start celebrating Christmas, that is a divider. That question uh, that is that people are there, there's much disagreement about that. So along those lines, when is it too early to start uh, talking basketball while the uh, football uh, <laughs> season is still ongoing? Uh, let's yeah. let's talk about Auburn. So uh, Auburn, uh, we lost to Auburn, thirty uh, seventeen. Again, uh, I think I told you this off uh, before we started recording, but I have no plan for this today because I've been making cookies. All right, so I got no plan. This is going to be the podcast equivalent of a pickup game. All right, hopefully it's more fun to to listen to. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, let's talk about Auburn. I'm going to do this off the top of my head. So if I get something wrong, forgive me. I'm sorry. Tis the season. Um, we lost 30 to 17. Um, you know, the weird thing is they looked, they looked kind of good at times. They just, they had major mistakes. Um, Samaglia missed a couple of field goals. Um, apparently he's, uh, not hundred percent. Um, defense gave, you know, gifted, Auburn a touchdown just through a totally botched uh, coverage. Um, and then there was a hundred yard pick six uh, that deprived us of probably seven points um, and gave them seven. And uh, you know, that's 14 points right there in a 13 point game. So, um, you know, I mean, it, it was, it was a bad result. Uh, Auburn was an 11 and a half point favorite. I think lost by 13. Could have been worse. Um, but, you know, everybody else uh, today, today is Sunday when we're recording this, and on Monday is going to rehash all of the bad, you know. So let's do something different and talk about a couple of good things, which there was some good stuff. Eric Gray, man, he looked awesome. Uh, offensive line, they look like we thought maybe they could look. Um, what did you think about any of that? And you can talk about the negative too. I didn't mean to deprive you of that privilege. <laughs> no, I think, you know, if this is the podcast without a plan, I, I thought Tennessee largely, and we talked about this after the Arkansas game, Tennessee seemed largely without a plan uh, against Arkansas. They had a plan against Auburn. is a good plan. Um, yeah. Chaney, I thought it was Cheney's best, best called game of the year. Yeah. Um, you know, when you look at, at – just the I'm looking at the box score. I mean, Tennessee's nine of fifteen on third down, sixty percent, baby. The, Sorry. Say that again. Sixty percent. Yeah, yeah. Converted the fourth down, outgained them. Uh, you know, by by almost eighty yards. Um, 
you know, few penalties. Uh, you know, they, they did a lot of the things right that they needed to do. And I think they Cheney struck a good balance of we've been talking about it for two weeks after Arkansas. Like, look, you've got to take some chances. I know you don't trust your quarterbacks. I know you don't trust any of your quarterbacks, but you gotta you gotta score points. You gotta get out there and do something. And they did a nice job in the first half mixing it up. And then they went back to that jumbo set. And man, it it was working. Um, working really well. And and then Garantano, it it just uh, we've talked about this at length. Um, it's the Arian Foster conversation of uh, statistically doesn't throw a lot of interceptions, but the ones he throws just brutal um, and certainly was there. Eric Gray, uh, I tweeted this out during the game. Um, Arian Foster ran for 220 some odd yards when Tennessee lost to Jay Cutler and Vanderbilt in 2005. Other than that, it's only a handful of, of Tennessee backs that have had a night like Eric Gray where they run – if you've got a back running for 170, 180, and you still lose, uh, I mean, it just almost never happens. Uh, so great to see him do well. Great to see them open up holes. And, and that's kind of what we talked about before this whole narrative got – had to get involved with why did you lose to Arkansas and why did you lose to Kentucky. It was, okay, yeah, maybe Tennessee's not going to beat Georgia and Alabama, but let's see what they do against an Auburn. And what they did was really it – was, it was pretty well done. You just can't throw the pick six and you can't miss a, the two field goals. And the problem now, of course, is it's not one data point. If that had been the first game of the season last night, you would have felt very frustrated to lose it. But I would have felt good overall uh, kind of about how the identity of the offense and, and the defense, other than the bus, really did well. But Tennessee is just not good enough to, to you know – uh, it, it, you just have to laugh at other than the bust and the pick six, everything re- went really well. You know, like we just, we're not good enough for that. Um, and, and haven't been for a long time. I, I've, I've been researching something to write early this week. Um, Tennessee has not in, let me just place all this in context. It's a weird year to take stats and compare them to other years because we're not playing Chattanooga this year and we're not playing. So it's, you can't really fairly take stats from this year and compare them to other seasons, but you can take stats from this year and compare them to conference play from any other year. Cause that's all we're doing in conference play in conference play. Tennessee has not ended the year in conference play with a positive turnover margin since Lane Kiffin. Oh my goodness. And Derek Dooley, the next year in 2010, Dooley's first year is the last time Tennessee was even. So everything – Kiffin was like plus six in league play, uh, and then Dooley in his first year was, was even at zero. Everything since then has been a negative turnover margin in SEC games. Uh, and so when we talk about Tennessee being due and those sorts of things, it's half of that and then it's half of – you just got to do – you got to do more, either to create more havoc defensively or quit turning it over offensively. So Tennessee's at minus three. But that minus three feels like minus 13 because so many of them are getting run back for touchdowns. So, um, you know, minus three through seven games is essentially you're giving up, you know, half a half a possession a game. Um, And when they're getting run back for touchdowns, that's giving up a full possession per game. You just just nowhere near good enough uh, to do any of that. So um, but, yeah, I I thought they had a plan. and I thought it was a good plan. And I think Eric Gray is is really good. Need Vanderbilt. It's the right week to have Vanderbilt on the schedule. You don't. You don't want. Uh, everybody needs to stay out of uh, 
contact tracing. Uh, I'm in contact tracing right now, so no, I'll cast no stones, but we need to play this week. <laughs> we need to play Vanderbilt this week. We need to, we need to get Harrison Bailey. Uh, if he's, if, if now's the time, it's not going to be any better than right now. So um, uh, yes, yeah, some good. You just got to, now we, you got to take the whole picture of seven games in this thing. And, and the whole picture includes a lot of other things too. Yeah. Fact check. Number one is uh, Florida's not next week. Uh, I thought you were just jumping ahead. Like, was, let's just skip Vanderbilt and get to the the next uh, frustrating situation we're going to take. Well, Vanderbilt kind of is a special kind of – if you want to talk about good things, um, Tennessee uh, and SP Plus jumped up to like a one-point something. That's points better than the average team, um, which puts them on par with, with 2017. And they're no longer like the worst Tennessee team by themselves. They're just with other bad Tennessee teams. In SP Plus, they would still be like – a 16 point favorite on Vanderbilt yep. in real life. They're an 11 point favorite at the open Vanderbilt. I, I know they put a couple of things together against the Gators. Vanderbilt is bad. Um, yep. So, the, the, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta get it together. Uh, th- this, this is the week for that. Yeah. The, uh, the Statsy preview machine says uh, 16.3. Yeah. So, so in, in agreements that's, and that you, I usually take that as a good sign, right? When those two things agree with each other, that, Somebody's got to be on to something there. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but uh, the the uh, the picks post that I do every year or every week, the last three weeks, I started putting the three games that are both in the sweet spot for the Statsy Preview Machine and also agree with SP Plus at nine for nine in three weeks. Yeah. 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 I mean, that makes sense, right? So again, Vanderbilt, is, and that's not to say like, if, you, if they play Bailey and he throws seven interceptions, all right. Um, but uh, if that doesn't happen, then, you know, th- this, this, is, this is a take care of business week uh, and, and just beat somebody, you know, again, because there's not – Chattanooga's not on the schedule this year. So, uh, no, no – it's throwing shade at Chattanooga, who's a fine athletic department. Uh, <laughs> an FCS team is not on the schedule this year. So, it's got to be Vanderbilt instead. Yeah. So, uh, so what do you do? You, uh, you play uh, Bailey? I just, I think, I, I don't think Pruitt has an ounce of him that coaches like to, to satisfy anyone or take some heat off of him. And honestly, that's probably good because coaches too often get into coaching not to get fired, right? As opposed to coaching. As your offensive right. coordinator. Right. Yeah. So, um, that's a whole other, we could talk about this for hours. Like if, if you, I've researched this again today. Like right now, right now, if I told you, all right, the next seven years for Tennessee are going to be, you know, eight and five, 10 and three, 11 and three, and they win the East, five and seven, nine and four, 10 and four, and they win the East, five and seven. Would you take it? Because that's what got Fulmer fired. Yep. And that's 02 to 08. Uh, and like, that I feel like that right now I would be like yeah yeah I mean I'd probably take that and I it's there's some health in that you know to say we shouldn't be in the business of expecting to go eleven and one all the time anymore uh, but yeah anyway there's there's that but yeah I th- I think look the best case scenario of Jarrett Garantano um, is is still not worth not finding out what you've got with Bailey when it's not the fourth quarter and everybody's playing prevent defense, especially when you're playing Vanderbilt. Play him against Vanderbilt. If he's bad or if he's not ready, somebody's going to show up even against a bad Vanderbilt team. And then you can throw Garantano back out there against the Gators. But 
um, yeah, you just, I don't, I don't see the reason now. Garantano has so much data on him and he does uh, a handful of things that are good, but his bad, as we just witnessed again, um, his bad is, I just don't understand why he's so much the better or even the safer option now than, than playing Harrison Bailey against Vanderbilt. So yeah, I would, I, um, Pruitt may not do it, but I, I just, I, I struggle to see the argument against Vanderbilt, uh, to not, to not play Harrison Bailey. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just like in 60 seconds or so, Florida, A&M, I mean, those games are, I mean, that's just not going to be fun. Right. Either one of those A&M might be all right. We got to kind of see them. They've been out for a while, but what do you think? I, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, unless, unless Bailey's, uh, it's almost now you're in damned if you do damned if you don't territory. Cause if Bailey comes in and he's really great, what were you waiting for? Right. So now that's, that would be problematic. I think you saw the game plan last night was, not the Arkansas-Missouri game plan of we're going to run it every play, um, but mix some pass in there, you know, take some shots, get receivers, uh, get playmakers the ball, that sort of thing. But also you can still run and, and really dominate a weak defense. So uh, if Tennessee uh, if, if Tennessee can establish the run against Florida the way they established it against Auburn, yeah, you'd be feisty. You're going to need help. You're going to need turnovers from a defense that has not been particularly good at creating them. Um, and, and you know, Tennessee got a turnover last night because Bo Nix did a dumb thing. I don't see Kyle Trask doing too many dumb things. Um, so, you know, you're, you're going to need help in those games. But you, if you can keep a defense honest, throwing the ball a little bit, then you can, you can try to establish and create a tempo for yourself that could be advantageous in those games. If Bailey plays well, I'm at least going to be curious, you know, um, I'd take curious at this point in time. They did a good, I mean, Auburn last night was a good job. Tennessee, if they play that game 10 times wins a handful of them. Uh, so good job sparking curiosity. Got to play Bailey uh, and, and keep that going. And then we'll see, we'll see if we can still be curious against the Gators. Weird thing about that, and I know we're talking basketball, so I'll give you the segue here if you want it. Yeah. You know, we're playing Gonzaga, number one Gonzaga, the Wednesday of the Florida game. What is the conversation? What's the ratio of conversation among the average Tennessee fan that week, right? Of are we going to talk more about the Tennessee Florida game or are we going to talk more about a basketball game? Like that's, that's wild to me that the answer could be and probably should be the basketball game. Right. Like that's that's a real thing that may be getting ready to happen. Well, it's like, you know, hope is really powerful, um, but anger and strife also very powerful. So we got hope versus uh, anger. Let's see, we'll, we'll see who wins. Need to win. If they if they beat number one Gonzaga again on win. now, Gonzaga's got some tough games before they even get to December 2nd. But um, if they beat the Zags at number one again after doing it two years ago, uh, then maybe. It's also a strange phrase. Maybe it's just kind of gravy, whatever happens in the Florida game, right? Like, it's just this year. This year is so weird. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, on to hoops. The uh, the schedule, they they, they they don't kick off. They tip off um, w- this Wednesday, um, 8 o'clock versus Charlotte in Knoxville. And then they got VCU on Friday. What a nice weekend this is going to be. 
you got Wednesday, you know, Wednesday's probably the last day of work for everybody. Watch some basketball. Good team, hopefully. Really looking forward to seeing them. You got Thanksgiving on Thursday, and then you got uh, VCU hoops again on Friday. You got Vanderbilt on Saturday and some other good games going on. That's good. And then it uh, looks like there's going to be uh, December 2 is the Gonzaga game that you were talking about in Indianapolis. And uh, then you got some other teams sprinkled in here, too. They're looking good. Cincinnati, um, App State, um, Tennessee Tech, USC Upstate. Ooh, never heard of them. They're the Spartans, and they got a terrible logo. So I, I missed that one somehow. It's on the drive, I think, to Myrtle Beach, right, depending on really? where you're uh, going from. That's Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, okay. There's a, there's a good Chick-fil-A in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Yeah. Not that there's a bad Chick-fil-A anywhere. Say, are they all good? Yeah. Yeah. So Sorry. All those games are uh, in Knoxville, except for the Gonzaga. So lots of home games. And then uh, the SEC slate kicks off, uh, tips off. Sorry, I'll get it right. <laughs> December 30th, Wednesday against Missouri. And uh, yeah, lots of good stuff here. And then also including January 30, we got Kansas at Thompson Bowling. That'll be fun. Um, play Kentucky twice. Uh, who's the other? Let's see. We only play Florida once. No, Florida twice. No, Florida, yeah, Florida twice and Missouri twice. It's almost like it's the old SEC East other than Georgia. Uh, all of Tennessee's home and homes this year are all old SEC East teams. So um, you, only, you only get LSU once. You only get uh, Bruce Pearl and Auburn once. Uh, only get Bama them once, but yeah, you, you get the Gators twice. Gators are, are going to be right there with Kentucky and Tennessee. I think as a, as as we expect almost every year is the best teams in the league, uh, and you get Conzo twice uh, in a in a um, uh, Conzo could be a, a, a they could be in for an up year at Mizzou. Um, I so. like Conzo. I like that dude. Yeah, um, Bruce, do you, we're taping this Sunday night. Do you, have you seen the uh, the Auburn? Uh, Auburn took a uh, self-imposed a tournament ban uh, for this year. Really? So, Why? Yeah. Because of the stuff that's been brewing the last couple of years, or something new? Yeah, yeah, same, <clears throat> same thing. It, it's it's the old um, Auburn isn't going to be as good maybe this year, so go let's go ahead and take it now, yeah. sort of thing. Uh, but there's there's a lot of there, this is not maybe the full podcast for this, but there's a lot of. When, when things are swirling through the air and you get enamored with the idea of bringing a coach in or bringing a coach back or those kinds of things, and you tell yourself, oh, it's, it's got to be this person or whatever, um, it's, a, it's a good, just, just a nice sort of moment of reality here. One, to be very grateful that Tennessee basketball is where it is uh, and, and Rick Barnes has, has done such a great job. And two, that, you know, the things you – try to talk yourselves into, be it for a basketball coach or a football coach, when you need to talk yourself into things, uh, those things don't always turn out. So um, we'll see, there'll be more to that story with the NCAA. If that's the punishment Auburn's giving themselves, um, more more to come on that, but not a, not a good day for Bruce Pearl. Well, if they were smart, they would have taken it last year. Right. <laughs> right. That's what he said in the press conference. He said that he feels bad – that his kids are really on a two-year NCAA tournament ban because they didn't get to play in it last year. So I will eagerly – listen, anybody that's listened to this podcast and a significant percentage of you have probably been listening to us for a long time. Man, I adored Bruce and and wrote a very long thing on how we should have kept him up and up and 
up into and including a one-year show cause, which ultimately that wouldn't have mattered anyway. So I, I don't, I, that's what I wrote uh, and all that stuff. But um, I will very quickly, if Auburn turns out to be no good this year, uh, you know, the, the uh, it's, it's only an NCAA tournament ban if your team's good enough to make the tournament. Uh, so we'll, well, does it we'll wait like and see SEC on that one. Or is it just NCAA or is it the SEC tournament too? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's an excellent question. Yeah. Usually if you're, if you're not playing in the NCAA tournament, they don't let you play in the SEC tournament because oops, what if you win it? Right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I don't, that's a good question. I don't know. All right, so um, since we haven't tipped off yet, um, and I've been, uh, you know, knee deep in football and Christmas cookies, um, you know a lot more about the hoops team than I do. So I- I'm going to tell you what I know, which is a little, and what I can read here on my screen. <laughs> that's that's the inside tip and trick, right? All these people on radio think they you think they know all this stuff off the top of their head. Only you know that. You know that. But most of them. You know, the commentators in the booth, they're looking at their sheets. Whenever you hear a, that guy was tackled by, he's looking at his sheet for the name, right? All right. So anyway, um, so I'll let you fill in the gaps here, which are going to be plentiful. But um, basically, we have pretty much the same team, uh, or or most of the guys back from last year. We're losing uh, Lamonte Turner, who we lost uh, halfway through the season last year anyway, Um, and then Jordan Bowden. But is anybody else even gone? No, that's it. It's just those guys. All right, so we got Fulkerson. Uh, he's, I think he was preseason All-SEC uh, this year. Um, that guy, man, he he was good when he was like, you know, a bit player behind Grant Williams and those guys. Uh, but, man, he has turned into a star. You know, he's just really, really good. And, it, you know, you don't just need to get him the ball in the in the post where he's close enough to put up a shot because he's tall and got that high, you know, release. But, you know, he can drive from the top of the key, this guy. Do spin moves, all sorts of moves. So he's really good. We got him back. Good for that. And then uh, Eve Pons, the uh, uh, most interesting man in basketball. (laughs) Born in Haiti, raised in France. Decided he wanted to come to America and figure, well, you know, it'd be hard to learn the language, but I can do that in about five months. And, uh, and he did, and he can, he can, uh, he can jump. I think this guy can jump into the basket. He's, <laughs> he's so hoppy that dude, uh, defensive player of the year last year, I think in the sec as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So I'm doing pretty good. All right. You are, I, I'm not even reading that seriously. Okay. But now <laughs> I'm going to start reading. Cause I got to figure out who else was there. We had, uh, Santiago Vescovi. Okay. He, he was the ringer we brought in to replace a turtler. Turner late. And this guy, man, I love this guy because he's like not super flashy, but he's so smooth. It's just really impressive. It, it's kind of a, I, I hope this isn't offensive to anybody, but kind of the, the typical European player, right? Where they're just solid fundamentally and they can do some really impressive things, but mostly it's through seeing the court and knowing what's going on and, and just being basketball savvy. Do you, th- do you agree with it with that uh, synopsis? Yes, of, I, I think so. And I, I like um, – there's a lot of his game. Obviously, he had to learn on the fly. There's a lot of things you can do in that style of game that you can't do in SEC basketball. And I, I think he's um, 
football should have taught us, and there's a whole caveat on this and everybody, that you can't uh, – the virus has to tamper some of your – this player was this good, and now – I say this like everybody can see me except Joel. This player was this good, and now he's going to be this good because he's back for another year. So um, even uh, um, one of the assistant coaches was talking about players, uh, everybody on the roster, and they got to Drew Pember, and they were like, now, Drew – He's going to be good. Now he was in contact tracing for 52 days. So, so it's like, okay, thank you. I thank you for saying that we should not expect Drew Pember to go from here to here. If he was in contact tracing for 52 days. So the natural progression stuff for everybody probably will take a hit, but Vescovi out of anybody, you know, just to adjust his game um, to not have to you know, step right into the fire. Uh, and then also I, I'd be curious to see that, there are so many different guys who could get point guard minutes on this team. I think Vescovi is going to be the point guard with the game on the line, but I'd be curious to see, you know, how do they, do they give him some minutes as, as an off guard? Do they give him some catch and shoot stuff? Um, that sort of thing. So he's, he, uh, uh, high ceiling on that kid. Uh, yeah. and, and we got to see little flashes of it last year. And I, regardless of the virus, given his situation last year, I think it's fair to expect uh, certainly a cleaner brand of basketball uh, from him and, and, you know, probably a a more exciting one too. Already pretty exciting. Yeah. And let's talk about some of the things that they uh, struggled with last year. I know you wrote a post on, on that and uh, the possibility of fixing some of that stuff. Uh, Let's get to that in a second though. Um, Josiah Jordan James uh, also uh, got significant minutes last year. He was going to be, wasn't he? basically a point guard, but then didn't really play a point guard. I know he was kind of hurt for part of the season and uh, you know, he was a five-star. So there was huge expectations on him. Um, you know, it didn't seem to really live up to them immediately, but uh, nobody really thinks that he, you know, doesn't st- still have that potential in, in the high ceiling. So um, what, what are you thinking about uh, Josiah Jordan James this year? I think he uh, it probably doesn't get enough credit for being better at the end of the year. Like Vescovi, he he turned it over too often, and Vescovi was kind of everywhere with turnovers. Josiah, just against pressure, against Auburn, uh, against Kansas, he just had some games where he really, not many, but a couple in those big money games where it was not an asset to Tennessee to have him on the floor just too many turnovers and not enough production. So I would expect that to, to be different this year. Yeah. I think he's, he's a, you know, combo guard, kind of a tweener that when Lamonte went out, just everything kind of changed uh, with his team. And Josiah was hurt during the season, but he was also hurt in preseason last year. So I think he never, he never fully got his, his role established. Um, and I think it's true for Tennessee too, though. It's, it's, we're getting more used to having, four and five star players in our program, but there's still a temptation, I think for fans, for any of us to say, Oh, he's a five star. He's going to be a one and done. Right. And when they come out, especially in Barnes, who's running a system and wants you to be that, that play this cog and this wheel and that sort of thing. Um, you know, there's, there's no need to, to jump all over him last year for not being, you know, a lottery pick or, or yeah. whatever. So some of that it would still be true for the freshmen, the, the you know, other five star freshmen that are on this team coming in and then Kennedy Chandler that'll be on next year's team. Uh, so, you know, there's uh, you, you don't have to crucify these kids just because they're not jumping into the top 10 on a, a mock draft a month into the season. I, I think he will have, 
it's an oxymoron. I think he will play multiple roles this year, but I also think he'll have a more defined role with this team. He, he may be the sixth man. Um, he may be, he was one of Tennessee's best defensive rebounders last year, did a good job cleaning things up. One of the only guys on the team that did a good job cleaning things up last year. So, uh, I, yeah, I think he's going to be just fine, uh, and, and doesn't have to carry a lot of that pressure. I think that got put on him last year when you're not just a five-star, but you're a five-star stepping into a void left by Grant and Admiral and Bone and all those other guys. And so last year, people were more apt, I think, to look to Josiah to be the savior. Whereas this year, you know, the five stars, because those guys are kind of like bonus to everything you're saying about who we've already got, you know, coming back on this team. Yeah. So uh, other guys coming back to some of the bit players, uh, it seems like a ton of guys, Devante Gaines, uh, Pember, who you mentioned already. Uh, let's see, Kamwa. Um, and you got Euros is back as well. So that's a, there's like more guys on this roster than Mississippi State played with in football this week, I think. <laughs> there's a ton of these guys. And that's kind of where I uh, am going to have to bow out because there are, I know, just from you know, sort of paying attention that there's a ton of really promising new guys arriving. So tell us what you know about these four and five star guys. And then you mentioned something a minute ago, I thought was really interesting that uh, expectations of five star players in John Calipari's system are different than expectations for five star players in Rick Barnes's system, because he actually runs a system. He teaches them well actually without me uh disparaging calabari too much or exposing my i really enjoyed it there for a second i was really i really enjoyed that (laughs) i was more worried about exposing my own ignorance uh so yeah talk about that too and then talk about some of these uh four and five star guys that are coming in what are their chances that we're gonna see them you know displace uh some of the guys who already were pretty good last year When you talk about Barnes system, he had a great quote and I don't know who the player was he was talking about, but he was saying, you know, look, just because you worked on your three this year and you're a better three point shooter doesn't mean we want you to take more threes. Like, you know, if it's not a good shot, if it's if that's not the role we want you to play. So um, and, and I didn't watch enough Texas back when he was at Texas to know this for sure. You know, there were exceptions to that rule with Durant uh, and and maybe some of those other guys. But essentially, I think he recruits to this of who are people that can come in on our team and play in the system, you know, get the ball up the floor, that sort of thing. They're going to defend their butts off. They're going to take defense seriously. Um, And and guys that can buy into this kind of chemistry and, and program that you have. The strange thing about Tennessee this year is, I mean, they could run an entire lineup on the floor. And I don't know that they'll do this because I I just don't know how much Corey Walker is going to play because of all these guys. But they could put an entire lineup on on the floor of guys that were not on this team last year and have it be a really good lineup, I think. Uh, Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer are are the two five-star freshmen that are coming in. Keon – just, just people that know more about basketball than me, people that with a lot of experience watching high school basketball and college basketball talk more highly of Keon Johnson than any freshman Tennessee's had since Tobias Harris. 
Um, so if you're looking for that sort of thing, if you're looking for a lottery pick, I think it's going to be him. I think he's going to start right away. Uh, and I think that's, he's somebody that will be exciting to watch, uh, and see, you know, what he's got and what he can bring Tennessee, uh, in, in doing that. Um, you know, they're, they're similar. They're key on six, five, Jaden's six, four. They're, they're, you know, similar wing guys that can play with the ball in their hand or, or off, um, I think both of those guys are going to play a ton. Uh, I don't know if they'll both start and Josiah would be a six man or if one of them will start and Josiah would, would start as well, but those guys are just going to play a lot. Um, and I think it gives Tennessee, those two guys give Tennessee something they haven't had uh, in probably since Jordan McRae, where you just put the ball in this guy's hand and he's going to go to the rim and get a bucket. Uh Kevin Punter was good at getting his own shot, but not necessarily at the rim. And some of that was Kevin Punter was, was kind of the, the option one, two, and three uh, on, on that early Rick Barnes team. Josh Richardson, you know, kind of similar, not necessarily his, his natural number one strength, but on the Donnie Tindall team, I mean, Josh Richardson was the option, right? So if you're talking about just, just being on a good team and having a guy that's going to get their own shot, that's Jordan McRae is, is as far back as you got to go. And I think Johnson and Springer will be good at that in ways that even good at that as a guard in ways that even the team two years ago didn't enjoy. Admiral and Grant could get their shot, but not as, all right, I'm coming down. I'm just driving in and, and going to the rim and that sort of thing. So those two guys can create their own shot. Um, Corey Walker is a four-star freshman that's, that's coming in. He just got a lot of traffic in front of him. Pons is back. Fulkerson's there. You know, Urosh has, has been, uh, in the program for a year he's intriguing for potential with a seven footer. So, um, you know, and, and then you've got guys like, uh, Olivier Kwamhua who Barnes talked early in the year last year about having really great potential. And then he just kind of hit the wall, I think it fell off. So if Corey Walker doesn't play a lot, it just may be the, the body count in front of him. Um, and then part of that body count is EJ Anasiki, who is a grad transfer from sacred heart. And this is a, this is a great year for, him because now this year doesn't count you thought you're getting him as he's a one-year rental his sister played here with candace parker you know those kinds of things he's a you know down and dirty you know eight points 11 rebounds guy that tennessee really hasn't had that, that's another thing as good as tennessee has been these last you know few years here they haven't had a guard that could really go and get their own shot and as excellent as they have been at rim protection and shot blocking, whether it's Kyle Alexander or now Pons, they've been susceptible on the offensive glass. They haven't had a, that kind of cleanup guy on the backside. Some of it because they just try to block so many shots, but there too, you got to go back to that same team of, of Jarnell Stokes and, and Jerron Maven too. You know, those are guys that they weren't the biggest leapers. They weren't super tall. They weren't going to block a ton of shots, but by God, they were going to get the rebound right? Like you, you weren't going to out rebound those guys. And Anasiki is more in that model. So that's somebody that can give you, I don't think he's going to start with Pons and Fulkerson in front of him, unless they want to do what you can do with this team, man. You can do some super fun stuff and put Pons at the three uh, and play Anasiki and Fulkerson in there and really bang on people. Um, but that's somebody now, Hey, you can have him for two years. Uh, and that would be a, a tremendous help. Uh, and then Victor Bailey is a transfer from Oregon can play some point guard. Um, Will Warren, who writes really great, thorough uh, advanced statistical stuff on Tennessee basketball, just talks about 
a fact for this team that Victor Bailey instantly becomes the best three-point shooter on this team. And that's something that they really lacked uh, last year was Lamonte was hurt. Bowden went from being the fourth option to the first option, and he didn't get near the clean looks that he got before playing with Grant and Admiral, and he struggled. But now you've got a team that can get you good looks, and you've got just a much better shooter coming in. So that's a whole lineup right there. Yeah. If Corey Walker gets minutes that was not on the team last year and includes two five-star freshmen and two you know, really good transfers that you like. So um, in a non-COVID year, you would look at a guy like like Drew Pember, maybe, uh, or or Devontae Gaines, maybe, though. I think Gaines is going to play. I think Gaines is good enough defensively that he's a guy that can come in and cause – he's a headache for another team for, for eight minutes That's a super night. super long, man. Yes. He's, he's eight – four minutes in the first half, four minutes in the second half, three steals, four fouls. You know, he's, yeah. he's that guy. Yeah. Uh, I think he's going to play. And that's that's a tribute to him on on uh, on this team, but you know normally you would be talking about we can redshirt dudes. Uh, you just don't have to worry about that this year. Yeah. Uh, so Tennessee, uh, and I, I wrote this in the thing that statistically their biggest problem last year was their their work rate, the bench minutes. Uh, they they when we were talking about can they make a run in the SEC tournament, it was like not without dying they can't because. These guys were just, you were asking so much of a glorified seven-man rotation. And now, I mean, you could go 13 deep, which is a bad idea. They won't do that. But, I mean, you know, somebody's not going to play on this team. So, um, they, there, there are so many different things you can do. So, like, right away in the first game, yeah, it's going to be fun to just watch Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer and see what they can do. But, man, I, I was, who are they putting on the floor together? Uh, what what combinations of guys can you kind of tinker with in the lab? Um, and in that way, it, it sucks to play Gonzaga the third game of the year because you're not going to have your, your – that's going to be a work in progress. Hopefully by the time you play Kansas in January, you got to figure it figured out. But, you know, they're, they're going to play some lineups against Gonzaga that aren't going to work. Um, but the good news is when they don't work, there's like seven other dudes that can come in the game. Yeah. Uh, at this point in time so yeah it's it's going to be it's the opposite problem but as long as you can figure out the chemistry and with Fulkerson and Pons uh, and and your point guard coming back in Barnes I think that that stuff will will work itself out um, and I just don't think they recruit I think Barnes is too old and too sure of himself to recruit guys that are not going to be a good chemistry fit um, and all that stuff so Anyway, that's that's a lot of me talking, but uh, yeah, it's it's very exciting uh, to see the just the multiple multiple different things that they can do. So, a uh, couple of questions. Well, first, I want to say though, uh, you mentioned uh, Anasiki uh, being the brother of Nikki. I think was her name, right? Yep. We uh, I remember when my kids were little, um, or when my older kids were, were little, we went to see a Lady Vols game, and uh, you know they kept saying Nikki Anasiki. And uh, I think, let's see, one of my daughters, she must have been maybe, I don't know, six or seven. She was like, Nikki has a sippy? So <laughs> I cannot hear uh, in a sicky without hearing Nikki has a sippy. So sorry, just an aside. But I wanted to ask you to expound a little bit on the chemistry issue. You, you started talking about it toward the end there. But, you know, with all these different pieces, how long do you think it will take to actually... You know, because 
there's there's a there's so many different combinations and it sounds like when you have that many different players you know pretty much whatever you roll out there is probably going to work but some <laughs> things are magic you know and you know and I, and I think the magic changes like every night you so you need to have different magical combinations um so you know how, how long do you think it takes to actually develop some of that and and does it require you know, sitting some of these guys, I mean, they all can't get the number of minutes that they want. So yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. You know, initially it can work to your advantage. This really helped Tennessee. If you go back to uh, the the Scotty Hobson, Tobias Harris year, um, you know, Tennessee started that year, seven and oh, eight and oh, won the NIT. um, And they could do some things, especially with Tobias, that, you know, teams, you didn't have film on them. They didn't, you could catch teams by surprise and just not have them know what you were going to do offensively because you hadn't seen this group of guys together. You know, less, you'd seen Scotty Hobson um, and and we've seen a lot of John Fulkerson at this point. So, you know, I don't know how much of that's going to be a mystery, but, you know, Viscovi, I think is still a, a bit of a mystery. Josiah's a bit of a mystery. So early it can help you just because teams aren't exactly sure you know, you don't know what you're going to do, but that means they don't know what you're going to do either. <laughs> but you, you got to by SEC play, I think, or, or at least you know, mid-January, you want to be in a groove where, you know, you know, maybe you're, you're tinkering with this guy or that guy in a bench lineup. Again, is Devontae Gaines going to get these eight minutes or is it going to be, you know, we, we play Jaden Springer an extra two. And so you, you can tinker with some of that stuff. Uh, but Tennessee's best teams uh, have, have found that groove and, and really wrote it, you know, into, into March. So um, some of that is going to require guys that might think that they're going to play, not playing. Um, some of it's, uh, you know, I, I think about, and I don't know any of these folks personally, uh, so I can't speak to how they would actually handle it, but like theoretically, Victor Bailey transferred here. Uh, and I don't know that he knew that all these five-star guards, you know, were, were going to be part of this thing. So, um, if I have the timetable right on that. So, you know, for somebody like him, are you going to play as much as, as you thought, um, you know, uh, so I, I think, you know, Fulkerson's going to be there. You know, Pons is going to be there. I, I think Vescovi, again, in crunch time, Vescovi is going to be the point guard. Uh, I, I don't, I think that is pretty settled. And Keon, if, if he's, if, if he just meets the expectations, uh, he's, he's going to be part of that too. So I, I think you can come close to having your, I think they got a good sense of their, their, probably the six best guys, the four guys from last year, and then the, the top two freshmen. And then, I, again, Anasiki, you, him more than anybody, you know what you're going to get from him. If, if you need a dirty matchup in there, if you need a banger, he's your guy. Victor Bailey, you've, you've seen him in Oregon. You know what you're going to get there. So that's eight. You know, from there, it's, it's who's going to be nine. Who's going to be 10? Can Urosh get in there and give them something where even if he's playing eight minutes a night, are they good eight minutes? You're not playing them because you have to. You're playing them because you got a seven footer that can attack you off the bench. Devante, you know, again, you, you're not, nobody's going to play because they have to this year. So um, if, if we've seen at Tennessee, not often, but a little with Barnes where 
guys, you know, in the second year, uh, uh, Derek Walker was one of these guys where they flashed a little bit, but then they just didn't, they just didn't get in the rotation. Um, and ultimately they moved on somewhere else where they could play more. So uh, if you got 13 guys that have had real experience or are a stud freshman and you're going to play, you know, probably nine, 10, um, figuring out how to manage that is important. Chemistry is more important in basketball than in any other sport. Cause there's only five of you out there. Uh, and, and so finding that as long as you've got freshmen that are going to fit in with what Tennessee's doing, as long as you don't have, um, and, and that happened in, in that Tobias year is that Scotty and Tobias were great basketball players. They just didn't play well together on top of all the other Bruce Pearl, uh, issues that were going on that year. It just, they just weren't a good fit together. They, they didn't, the offense either ran through Scotty or it ran through Tobias. It didn't run through Scotty and Tobias. Um, so that can happen, uh, but I don't. I don't think you don't have an offensive, a pre-existing offensive juggernaut on this team. You know where like Fulkerson is great, but he's not an offensive juggernaut. Pons is the defensive player of the year. Um, so it's not like I don't think, in theory, that you're going to hurt somebody's feelings by saying, "Okay, you were the twenty-point scorer. Now you're going to be the fifteen-point scorer." I, I don't. I don't see that sort of thing, but. It'll be interesting to watch, uh, you know, Barnes teams typically, maybe, you know, especially the 18, 19 teams. And I think last year too, that team could have folded last year without Lamont. They could have folded. Uh, and instead they won at Rupp Arena. So um, his teams have been good at this. And, and I would just hope that they would, you know, that would be there um, uh, again, going to be some bumps, but again, Tennessee's best teams, the, the elite eight team, when Brian Williams got healthy and got back on that team, those guys were loaded. They knew exactly what they were. Everybody knew their role. Everybody played it well. Um, that was some of Tennessee's best basketball. It happened in 18 where Tennessee was doing that. And then Kyle Alexander got hurt in that first NCAA tournament game. And they lost to, you know, Loyola Chicago in the grace of God uh, in that second round game. And, and like that made a difference, you know, they were a cohesive group that 18 group and when they lost just one piece of that it, it really hurt them in that game yeah. so um you know i don't know I, i'm fascinated to see how, who's it going to be and how are those rotations going to look because there's a lot of good options just gotta yeah. gotta make sure you're pushing those right buttons by you know in enough time to get your best basketball in march all right so speaking of one piece um i'm wondering if height is a problem we have uh you know, Fulkerson, he, he's the guy who usually starts at the five, right? Um, yes. He, he's only 6'9", only, you know, only 6'9". <laughs> um, right, right. And, uh, and then you got Euros, uh, who's seven foot. You got Drew Pember is 6'10", but, you know, uh, he didn't he didn't get much time even last year when, when you know, they were short on bodies. Um, and then you have... Uh, somebody named Cole Morris, who's six nine, and everybody else six eight or below. So, you know, what do you do when uh, when uh, Fulkerson comes out? Is is it always Euros? And 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 also, you know, who who do you think is the starting lineup? It, it may not matter. There may be multiple starting lineups, but if you got uh, Viscovi at the point, uh, you got Fulkerson and Pons at four and five. 
And then the two and three, is it Jordan James and then one of the two freshmen, do you think? Or both of the freshmen and Josiah is the sixth man. Yeah, okay. I, I think that that six uh, is is pretty that, that's pretty solid right there. Okay. So what? Um, who plays five when uh, Fulkerson? I I think it was Pons at times, but he's only six six. Well, that's what I was going to say. It, now Tennessee is deep enough to do that again, not because they have to, but when it's advantageous to them. Because they did. I think it was Missouri last year where they put pawns at the five and it was like, Ooh, this is super fun. Like this is cause now you're so athletic getting up and down the floor and, and all that stuff. And you can do it. I mean, look, Grant Williams is doing it with the Boston Celtics. Uh, yeah. In, how tall in is playoffs. He? He's, like, he's six. Isn't he six ten? There's no six, Grant, six? Grant Williams with his shoes off is like six, six. Oh, okay. So uh, it, de- but it depends on the matchup. So, there too is is I think uh, I, I think Anasiki. If if you're going against bangers, if you're going against a team that wants to put it in the post and a team that wants to crash the offensive glass on you, then it's Anasiki. Um, if you're going against guys that are that are longer and you need rim protection, um, then it could be Pons. It, it could be Urosh uh, if if he's ready for that. You know, seven foot seven footers are often such a project. And you think about how we talked about Kyle Alexander for years before, you know, it was with Alexander, it was always he's gonna be good. He's gonna be good. He's gonna be good. And he got there eventually, but not early, right? I mean, that guy, he you know, he needed two years of the weight room, uh, you know, to, to even be ready for that. So uh I don't know. I, I think the best teams in this league. Uh, are, are going to tend to reflect more of what we're seeing in the NBA, which is, you know, the, the seven footer that can't knock down a three is not going to play a lot. Uh, so if you've got those guys, Tennessee's got Urosh that they can bring in and handle that, or they've got Anasiki that can come in and bang with, with anybody that wants to really post somebody up and try to get you on the glass. Um, so I, I think it, I think it just depends. Uh, I think Tennessee at the end of games, if Tennessee needs a bucket, I think it's going to be that that group uh, that we talked about. If Tennessee needs a stop at the end of games, that's where I think the lineup can change, just depend on what the other team is doing. So it could be Pons, um, could be Pons at the three, and Anasiki with Fulkerson. Uh, it could be Urosh if, if he's if he's got it together. So uh, you know, it's such a mad scientist kind of team. Um, which is a lot of fun. And again, yeah. sometimes the, the lab is going to blow up in your face. Um, and in Tennessee's case, you hope that happens, you know, against Cincinnati or, or something like that. And you don't take a, a bad loss uh, in this thing, but that's the other thing. I mean, the NCAA tournament now is if the whole tournament's in Indianapolis, it doesn't matter what region you're in, which really stinks this year. Cause Memphis was in a, was a sweet 16 elite eight site. So that would have been fun. But um you know, so it, like there's no, ah, we, we lost our chance to be in the South region. Like it just doesn't matter, you know? Um, and I think it's advantageous to a team full of veterans that, you, you know, you're just, that happened in the NBA bubble that the, the most mentally tough teams won. Um, and the more talented, uh, you know, Milwaukee and, uh, and some others that had more talent, but maybe weren't as mentally tough, uh, were exposed. They didn't just lose, they were exposed. So uh, it's a good year, I, I think, 
um, to have veterans to be a Rick Barnes team. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be tough, I think, in that setting. And especially a good year to be deep too, because uh, you know, unlike football, you know, if you're out for contact tracing, you'll miss a game. If it falls in the wrong day, you might miss two. Um, you can miss four games or more um, in basketball. So that's be, that'd be a bad time to be without your star. So it's a bunch of it's it's a good year to have a constellation full of them. You know, <laughs> it's good. So, yeah. Uh, so I, the only other thing I was going to say is what, what do you think the team does then since we're talking mad scientist stuff, when you go up a team, go up, go up against a team, like, I think it's like, I'm thinking like teams like Purdue and Kansas where they have like two star seven footers, you know, or, or just a team that is super tall. Um, do we just try to out athlete them? I mean, cause I remember, I think Fulkerson is a really good you know, surprisingly good defender against those kinds of guys. Um, and then, you know, with Pons helping from the other side, um, I don't know, any ideas on what, what you're going to do against uh, teams that are that much taller than you are? I think Pons is so good um, and so strong, and similar to Grant, that you're just not going to super take advantage of him um, so I think for anybody that, that Tennessee is going to see like that, uh, as if they're at full strength, then I, I just think you've got enough knowing that they could play Pons and Fulkerson and Anna Sicky together, uh, if they wanted to, cause I mean, Pons could play the two probably if he wanted to. Um, I think that, that, um, that makes Tennessee. Okay. The really intriguing stuff with Pons, too, is that if you are confident in what you're going to get from Anasiki and, and Fulkerson defensively, um, you know, you could throw Pons out there defensively on the other team's point guard or throw him out there on the other team's best – just, you know, put him on the other team's best player and trust that you're going to have what you need from the other guys. I think Josiah is, is an underrated defender uh, and, and got some size to him. So – um, I, I think this Tennessee team, it, it needs uh, – you need to hope Victor Bailey is as good of a shooter as we think he is, and you need some other guys to come on. You need, you need other guys. They're going to get better looks. You need them to knock down those looks. You need the freshman to, to be as consistent as a freshman can be. You need guys to hit threes. But if that happens, Tennessee is this, – this team is well-equipped to play the brand of basketball that wins uh, these days, This the more positionless stuff where – you know, everybody on the floor is six, seven, and they can all play multiple positions and all that stuff. Tennessee can do that. You know, Fulkerson's not going to play point guard, but he's versatile enough and, and, and dangerous enough. I think that he can really help you in those situations too. So uh, I, I just, I think that this team, they're, they're not going to go undefeated, you know, and, and they may learn some lessons the hard way against Gonzaga, but um, I just think these, it's, it's a Swiss army knife. Uh, this thing and and as long as you you know as long as you if you need the corkscrew at the end and you actually pull out the corkscrew instead of accidentally pulling out the knife or whatever you know then I, I think these guys are gonna these guys are gonna have an answer for just about anything you throw at them and that that sets them apart from some of the other really great Tennessee teams where you know the Chris Lofton team Louisville was a nightmare for them. Those guys were this kind of team that were long and got in your face and 
and, and uh, you know, Jawan too, those guys just couldn't get their shots off against them. Um, and, you, I mean, it, it, we talk about the tournament when we get there. Tournament's weird. We should have learned that the last time. You might run into Ryan Klein. You yeah. might run into random dude that hits seven threes. If so, it's going to happen. Um, but, uh, you know, night in and night out, I think Tennessee's going to have an answer for just about anything that folks want to throw at them. Uh, and that's that's very exciting. We like that very much. Yeah, if I remember right, uh, meeting Louisville in the tournament, I was actually at that game. And uh, isn't that the game where they decided to just put J.P. Prince on the on the point guard uh, just because um, the other guy did? I think they had like super tall guards or something. And so they decided to roll out Prince there and uh, it still didn't work. But I remember being there. That was a lot of fun. Uh, also, last last question here too. Um, I'm assuming that all these new guys are all left-handed. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Surely they're not all left-handed, right? But <laughs> we talked about shout out to to uh, former Rocket Top Talk writer Chris Penley that talks about like that's worth a couple buckets a game. I think you know, the, like teams just are not used to seeing that kind of. Uh, uh, yeah, you're not used to seeing a team full of southpaws. So, yeah, you can get a couple buckets a game on people where the defense is like, oh, crap, I forgot he's left-handed too. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it, it has its like advantages, going no to doubt. The left. Yeah. And I th- your, your point about J.P. Prince is, a, is it kind of completes this conversation to say that team, even one of Tennessee's best teams ever, still didn't have that right rotation figured out. Going to the NCAA tournament as a two-seed should have been a one-seed. Yeah. They were still tinkering at, at point guard because they weren't getting, you know, what they wanted from from Ramar Smith and, you know, I think Jordan Howell was still on that team and, and they ended up playing JP uh, in in uh, against Butler in the round before too. So, um, yeah, you you want to have it figured out. This whole operation is about getting your best basketball in March and along the way giving yourself the easiest possible path through the tournament. Uh, which this year again is not about geography whatsoever. It's just it's just about. Um, I hope they still seed them one through sixteen in the regions because it's going to be really confusing if you know it's like, well Tennessee's nine, which means they should have been a three. But you know, um, yeah, just just get get your best basketball together in March uh, and and um, and give yourself the best path through along the way. But uh, it's it's going to be fun. The along the way is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, with this team and and shout out with everything that's gone wrong in football and however many years it's been and um it's 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 good to be in the hunt uh in basketball uh and and good to believe that you're going to be there for a while and so shout out to rick barnes and those guys for giving us that all right that's going to do it for uh, this episode of the game day on rocky top podcast we appreciate you tuning in as always we ask for a favor uh, please subscribe, give us a review, give us a rating. Uh, today, the bonus points in the review, are, uh, uh, we give bonus points if you include the phrase uh, Christmas cookies. That's the, uh, that's the phrase for today. So for uh, Will Shelton, I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and this has been the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast. For my uh, computer, since I'm recording both on Zoom the fan has been running the whole time. It sounds like it's getting ready to take off. Is there? I don't know if you can hear it. Like, no, I couldn't hear it. No, no, no. It's funny though. 
this podcast is too much for the, uh, for the hardware. So. That's but, wild. Did you um, did you watch the? Uh, I got to run in just a second and help with uh, Sophia. Did you did you watch the Skycast? Did you stick with ESPNU uh, last night? You know, I, I found it so bizarre without any commentary that it was just hard. So I you know I watched it until they until they switched until I discovered it was on ESPNU, which I, I didn't realize that for a while. Uh, but it was interesting, you know. Did how long did you watch it? I watched the whole game that way. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, okay. I, I uh, Alex liked it. Uh, and so we, we just kind of stuck with it and I, it just made me feel more like I was there. Um, okay. because yeah. you, you know, it just cuts out the commentary. You can hear the band more. You just, the PA announcer, it's like playing a video game, the PA announcer cutting through the, the silence, uh, and all that. So, it, you know, great for seeing when a run is going to break open. Yes. Um, the only problem ter- is you, you, you can't tell where the first down marker is, you know, but right. Uh, and when, when the quarterback lets the ball go, you don't know, man, like, like you can't see really what's breaking loose downfield at all, but you can see up front. Great. Uh, so I don't know. I just, I enjoyed when he threw that pick six, I was grateful to be watching that, uh, and not, not the, the commentary. So it was a nice, uh, I feel like my, my blood pressure was lower throughout the evening.